Hello, everybody, and welcome to another beautiful Thursday morning. You're listening to Bhavani at IE Queen on the Progressive Radio Network. And I'm really excited to be here with all of you today. I have a great show planned. Toby Adams, the um, director of the Edible Academy at the New York Botanical Gardens, will be joining me. And I'll be telling you more about him in just a little bit when he comes on. But first, I want to share with you some things in the news, some ways you can take action, and, um, of course, share my weekly recipe with all of you. So first, in the news, um, I was really delighted in the last couple of weeks to be hearing about all the plant-based um, diets and um, recognition that plant-based diets have been getting. It was announced last week that as of this Friday, uh, all New York City students will be receiving a vegan plant-based meal every Friday. This is a new program that the um, New York City schools are rolling out, and they are doing it based on research that shows that a plant-based diet is better for your health and um, is, you know, can set these kids on a path of eating better for their life. So anyway, starting this <clears throat> past Friday, all New York City students have received a plant-based meal on Fridays. That means a meal that does not contain any animal products at all. And um, they, of course, have peanut butter and jelly that they're offering as a backup in case somebody doesn't want to try whatever um, meal that they are preparing. But it's really exciting. And of course, they continue on Mondays. They have Meatless Monday that they've been promoting already for a few years. Um, the Meatless Monday does not always um, is not always just plant-based. Sometimes it might have some cheese in it, but they are really working towards making the Meatless Monday also mostly plant-based. So anyway, that's really exciting. And then on top of that, I heard that um, New York City hospitals have added a plant-based lifestyle medicine program to their offerings, and that's really exciting. They have they had a um, a pilot program at Bellevue Hospital, and the results that they have seen through that program has really been tremendous. Um, Dr. Michelle McCracken, who had over who was overseeing the Bellevue program and will be overseeing the program at the um, hospitals that they're adding, she said, and this is a quote, the outcomes we've seen in the Bellevue program have been tremendous. We actually know we can prevent up to 80% of chronic disease and premature health by helping people eat healthier, be more physically active, and not smoke. And that's just tremendous. And um, of course, our new mayor, um, Eric Adams, has been a plant-based eater for many years. He reversed his own diabetes and other health issues that he had and um, is doing really great and is now our mayor. And so he's a great role model for many people to see how a plant-based diet can really change their health. And so um, I'm just really thrilled to see plant-based diets getting the recognition they deserve. And again, you know, I don't think people are expecting everyone to become plant-based overnight. It is a process, a slow process. It's something that you need to really expand your palate and your repertoire because there's so many ingredients that one uses in plant-based cooking that you're not used to using. 
such as um, you can use tahini for your oil instead of a, a processed oil or um, an animal product. Um, I make cream sauces by soaking cashews and blending those up. And you, many of you who have been following me, you know, have been making many of the recipes that I share. And I, you know, I've been vegetarian for almost 50 years, but um, plant-based is only in the last few years. I've been, you know, it's been a gradual, gradual process for me. I'm weaning myself off of dairy and cheese and even fish. I was eating, you know, it's a pescatarian for many years. So um, it's a process, but the more you learn, the more um, excited you can become about following this path and learning more ways of eating really satisfying, delicious meals. So anyway, that was in the news this week, and I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, if you have any questions about a plant-based diet, feel free to email me at bavani at ieetgreen.com, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. Um, another thing I wrote about, and this is a, a take action, I actually have a link on my website where you can urge your representatives to co-sponsor the Healthy Mealtime Act is asking for it to be um, required that students get a decent amount of time to eat their lunch. And I've been on the, I was on the health committee at our kids' public school and um, have been involved with the school lunch program for years. Of course, I was the farm to school coordinator for the Glen Cove Public School. And I see how quickly or how little time kids get to eat lunch, especially by the time if they're buying their lunch and they go through the lunch line. By the time they get out, if they don't want to miss their recess time, they have five minutes to down that lunch, if that. And so the amount of food that gets thrown out and ends up as food waste is tremendous, not to mention the lack of nutrition that the kids are getting if they're not finishing their meal. So this is a... A uh, bill to really try to demand that kids get adequate lunch time for their um, for eating their lunch in their school day, and so please take a moment to sign that. And I want to share my recipe with you. Um, of course, in the winters, I love making soups, and this is a hearty black bean soup. And I recently um, got a Instapot, which has a pressure cooker built in, and that makes cooking beans from scratch so much easier. Um, even if you don't soak them overnight, which is usually my problem. I usually forget to soak the beans overnight or I don't plan ahead. And in 20 minutes, I can cook up beans in a pressure cooker without even soaking. So um, this recipe includes cooking with the pressure cooker, but you can also, of course, cook the beans any way you want. And if you don't have time to cook the beans, you can, of course, use canned um, black beans as well. This was two and a half cups of dried black beans, which would be approximately five cans of black beans um, if you were going to use canned beans. So this is two and a half cups of dried black beans, six cups of water, two bay leaves, two cloves of garlic, two onions chopped, two carrots diced, one celery stalk diced, <clears throat> half a red pepper and half a yellow pepper. And I do those, you know, for a little color in the soup. A half a cup of cilantro chopped fine for garnish. Two teaspoons of cumin, one teaspoon oregano, 
two teaspoons salt, one teaspoon pepper, and a two-inch piece of kombu. Kombu, for those of you that don't know, is um, seaweed. And if you put the seaweed in with the beans when you're cooking it, it makes the beans less gassy. And um, if you have been watching the news, you've probably heard that they're starting to experiment with putting seaweed in animal feed, um, in cow's food, so that they also become less gassy because that's been a real source of methane in our environment. So um, giving the cows some seaweed has been helping with that. So you want to start by washing and um, draining the beans. And you do want to just look through the beans to make sure there's no little pebbles in there or anything. Um, then you place the beans into the pressure cooker with the six cups of water, two cloves of garlic, two bay leaves, a two-inch piece of kombu, the oregano and the cumin. Set the pressure cooker for 20 minutes. Um, and like I said, if you're doing it in a large stock pot, you can just cook it um, until they get soft. It will be two hours or longer, depending on how old the beans are. Um, and set the pressure cooker for 20 minutes. And um, what else did I, I wanted to say something about that. Hmm, don't remember. Anyway, meanwhile, in the stock, in another stock pot, you're going to saute the onions, the carrots, the celery, and the peppers. And I'm doing that separately. You can, of course, just add that right into the pressure cooker and cook it with the soup. But I like sauteing it separately so that I can puree the beans and then add the vegetables and have a little bit of, um, you know, have a little bit of texture to the soup and see the colors of the red and yellow peppers. It just makes it really prettier that way. So when the beans are done, you can remove the bay leaf and the kombu. Use an immersion blender and puree the beans until they're smooth. Then add the veggies to the beans. Oh, and add the two teaspoons of salt and the pepper. And that's what I wanted to say about the salt. Some people, there's a whole dialogue as to whether you put salt in with the beans when you're cooking them or after. Um, I've done it both ways. You can do it whichever way you like. Um, you know, a lot of people say that the beans will cook quicker if you don't add the salt in with it. Um, so you want to taste the soup and adjust the spices to your liking. You can add more salt or pepper, more cumin if you want. And if you want it to be spicy at all, of course, you can add some red pepper flakes or some cayenne pepper. Um, you're going to add approximately a half a cup of cilantro to that if you are a cilantro lover. If you don't like cilantro, I know some people don't, you can, of course, substitute parsley. Um, and save a little bit of the cilantro for some garnish on top. You can also serve it with some chopped red onion on top. Um, and then I also make a little cashew cream to serve with it, which is like a sour cream. And it's really delicious. So for that, you're just going to puree a half a cup of soaked cashews with a half a cup of water. Squeeze in the juice from half a lime and put in some salt to taste. And that's it. And um, you can you know, puree that really until it's super, super smooth. It should be the consistency of sour cream. And then you can just garnish the soup with that as well or serve that on the side. And it's really delicious, comes together really quickly, and I highly recommend it. So if you make this recipe, um, feel free to send me a little um, note that you made it and any feedback you have on it. And now it's my pleasure to introduce all of you to Toby Adams. Um, if you've visited the New York Botanical Gardens, you've probably seen some of his work if you've walked past the Edible Academy. And the Edible Academy is a state-of-the-art educational facility featuring hands-on activities and innovative programs that help children, families, and teachers 
and the general public learn about growing and preparing vegetables, fruits, herbs, while encouraging a lifelong interest in gardening, nutrition awareness, and environmental stewardship. And Toby had joined the garden as a science education intern back in 2001. He was hired as the coordinator of the Everett Children's Adventure Garden in 2002, and then was promoted to the manager of the family garden in 2005. In 2012, he became the director of the Edible Academy and has been instrumental in the development of the new campus. They've doubled their capacity um, under his leadership, including um, the new design, new garden configurations, um, and new staffing structures. And Mr. Adams collaborated with New York Botanical Gardens professional learning colleagues to develop and implement to implement three teacher institutes dedicated to school gardening and has executed several grants with local partner organizations to promote garden education and nutrition education. And Toby has presented at numerous local and national conferences, and he is just a wealth of knowledge, and I'm so happy to have you with us, Toby. Thanks for joining me. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Sure. So um, I thought, you know, I, I said a little bit about the Edible Academy, but maybe you could share a little bit more light on the Edible Academy, how long has it been um, operating, and what exactly you're doing there. Sure. Uh, uh, for those of you uh, familiar with the, the Botanical Garden, uh, for many years there was a, a garden called the Ruth Ray Hall Family Garden. And so the Edible Academy is... Uh, is a, a restoration of the, of the family garden. And so um, what was a, a three season uh, facility with programs uh, we operated uh, spring through fall. Um, we, we developed into a year round uh, facility with year round programming to, to support that. So it was a project that we um pursued as a part of our, the botanical garden strategic planning process. And it was uh, an opportunity for us to grow our programs and uh, to, to reach new audiences. Uh-huh. And um, <clears throat> the Edible Academy, you know, is on the website and you offer so many different programs. So it's not just school groups coming in, right? Individual people who are visiting the garden can also um, make use of the Edible Gardens. How does, how does that work? That's right. Yeah, we have a, a variety of uh, programs uh, for school groups and for families, uh, including drop-in programming and registered programming. Uh, one of the programs we host here was actually started uh, 66 years ago, I think. Now, um, back in 1956, it's it's called it was called the the Garden Crafters uh, then, and uh, it's it's part of what we call the Children's Gardening Program now. And so we we families enroll and kids are assigned their own garden plots and with the, you know, leadership of an educator, uh, learn about taking care of a garden, uh, helping them to plant it, uh, you know, care for the plants that are growing in it and then harvesting. And, and there's a, a, also a complementary uh, syllabus of lessons enrichment activities that are, you know, garden based seasonal. So uh, in the 1990s, the garden, um, recognized that there were, you know, visitors that also wanted to learn about gardening and have that hands-on experience. And, and that hadn't necessarily enrolled for, you know, that, that commitment for like, you know, the entire spring or the summer. So we 
we introduced a drop-in programming. And so we continue to offer that. Um, that was like a few special weekends through the year. Now that's uh, six days a week, April through October. Um, so anybody that's visiting the garden, uh, it's, it's the afternoons uh, all day on Sundays, um, are invited to, to, to visit and to help us take care of the garden. So we have, uh, we always have a planting station. Uh, we have a, a station to explore uh, the soil. Uh, it's like a digging station. So you get to use, to, you know, garden tools and, and um, kind of, you know, meat decomposers and, you know, the place that our plants grow. And then we also have like a watering can station. So you can pick up a watering can and help us to, to water the, the crops that are out there growing. So, so yeah, so we layer lots of different programs. Um, so there's a whole choreography to uh, the staffing into the spaces that we um, offer all of these activities. Uh, and so some portions of the Edible Academy are dedicated to the gardening program. Others are dedicated to our uh, the students that are participating in our school programs, um, and still other plots are um, available for uh, our drop-in audiences. And then there's also displays, and uh, we have topiaries and kind of our entry gates and lots of container plantings and things. So, so you know, no matter which program that you're participating in, you benefit from all the different plants you might see uh, that others might be taking care of. So. Wow, it's amazing! All those things are going on simultaneously. I don't, I can't imagine how you can keep it all staffed and running smoothly with so many things going on at once. Um, so the drop-in programs, and do they sell out? Um, like, is there a capacity limit to that? Well, uh, that's a good question. This past couple of years, we set some capacity limits um, due to the, the pandemic, but. Um, and, and to you know promote like distancing, it's all outdoors. Uh, the the drop in programming, um, but you no, know, you know we 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 have uh, you know some days where it's maybe not the nicest uh, weather, and we have very few visitors. And and other days, um, you know, particularly the weekends, Saturdays and Sundays, as well as Wednesdays, you know, the botanical garden is, has free admission uh, on all day Wednesday, and um, also Saturday mornings, and so once you're on the botanical garden campus, you can drop in to the edible Academy. So, yeah. So like some, some Saturday afternoons, we'll have 500 visitors um, over the course of those, you know, four or five hours. Um, other, other days we'll have, you know, five visitors. So, um, wow. and, and you know, we have staffing that complements those, those usual, you know, those expectations. There's also holidays and, and you know, uh, summer recess that are predictable. Um, and so, we have lots of different activity stations. So we're able to kind of direct people as they arrive, like, you know, let's, you know, there's great time to go plant right now, or we might see that the planting station is quite busy and we have, we have a take home activity always. Um, and so we might kind of encourage people to visit that station. Um, and so we have a theme like every month during, for the drop-in program, we've created a theme uh, to kind of focus the learning, uh, you're always invited to plant and what we plant changes from April through October, but, um, uh, we have a, you know, seasonal topics. So there's like an investigation station. There's always a take home activity. And just an example of that, um, for the past several years in May, we've had a program, uh, our drop-in activity, um, theme called salad days. And so we explore, uh, what salads are and some of the plants that factor into the, um, you know, the ingredients and the different salad recipes that are out there. And one of our take-home activities each, each day is uh, inviting our, the visitors to make a salad dressing. And so they mix 
you know, use measuring, measuring spoons and, and mix and measure different herbs. Uh, and then uh, I'll add the, uh, the liquid ingredients back at home. Oh, great. And you give them the recipe, obviously, for that. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole recipe. They follow, you know, our instructors lead the, the family. Uh, you know, we encourage like the parents to, you know, work with their children and uh, learn alongside of them. And so, uh, yeah, they pack up a little uh, pouch with all the different herbs and we'll, we'll have different recipes each week. So we kind of, you know, are trying to entice people to come back and, you know, maybe check on the seeds that they planted and see if they've sprouted and, you know, those types of, um, those types of things. And then, uh, you know, we're reintroducing um, during that program. We in for the past ten years, we've uh, offered um, uh, like culinary demonstrations, and so we call them fresh from the garden tastings. Um, for several for several years, we offered those on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at two and at four p.m. They're like twenty to thirty minute uh, demonstrations. Uh, they each week we have a new recipe, so we just are in the process now of wrapping up all the recipes that we're going to include in the 2022 season. So we've had those uh, culinary demonstrations suspended for the past two years, but um, we're going to reintroduce them beginning in May. And so we have 25 recipes. Uh, it'd take about 20 to 30 minutes to share. We often invite um, the visitors you know, to participate, you know, as volunteers and help with, uh, you know, the different steps. And then we offer samples for ta- like a little tasting sample afterwards. And then we, we post all the recipes. We have um, paper copies of the recipe on site. For anybody that's participating, we also have all of our recipes posted on that nybg.org website. Lovely, lovely. So when you said the kids get a plot, is it, can a kid actually, like as a community garden, can they actually have their own plot that they come back to every few days to take care of? Or is it more like, um, you know, many people have, you know, plant one thing in a, in a garden and come back whenever and someone else takes care of it? Yeah, so for the family-based programming, uh, if you enroll in the children's gardening program, so there's advanced registration. It's open now um, for our sprouts, which are our three- to five-year-old um, gardening program participants. And then our, our garden crafters uh, is the 6 to 12 drop-off program. And so you can enroll for the spring, summer, or fall season or, or a combination of those three. Um, and then we're hopeful that in the you know January 2023, we'll reintroduce our winter uh, season as well. Um, and so that's a schedule, um, in the spring and the fall, it's on Saturday mornings. And so the, the, the families that enroll their children in those programs, um, you know, arrive, uh, to the garden and, uh, they're assigned to an educator and then the educator leads a group of 12, 12 kids through the season. And so, you know, we have activity, you know, we have a planting plan that we follow. And so the kids are learning how to direct sow seeds or how to transplant seedlings and how to build a trellis and so on and so forth. And so um, if you drop in, uh, we have like a, a several planting beds that are dedicated to the drop-in visitors. And so we select what we're planting that day. It might be radishes in uh, April or sugar snap peas. It, you might be invited to plant beans and carrots in the summertime. Um, so, uh, or, and, and others. And so um for that program, you you know, if you choose to visit again and, you know, check on it, you have to you could kind of try to locate where you were planting. There was uh, several years ago, a, a, a family came in as a father and he um, he hadn't been there for the first visit, but they were returning because our our educator encouraged them to come back, you know, in 90 days to you know find their carrot. And so he's like totally didn't think that he this was going to 
actually be possible. But, you know, we, every day we label what we plant and the date um, that we plant them. And so we kind of found out when they had visited, like, you know, previously, and we went and found, you know, the carrot that she had planted. And so he, he was like, Oh, I really didn't think this was going to be successful. So, um, so yeah, if, if you, if you come back and visit, you, you know, you can, the kids have, you know, very good memories and, and they often know exactly where they were and, you know, even who maybe uh, was helping them to plant. And so they might point somebody out and then we can kind of figure that all out together. So. Uh-huh. That's awesome. So what plants um, do you typically grow at the Edible Academy? Well, just about anything and everything you can grow in New York that we, you know, eat. And so um, it is obviously a seasonality to that. And um, we make some decisions about uh, what we plant in, in a particular program area. So for example, the drop-in program, we, we, we have, uh, you know, thousands of, um, you know, you know, visitors that are planting. And so we tend to choose things that provide lots of planting opportunities in a small space. And so things like radishes and, and peas uh, are, are really good for that. They also grow relatively quickly. Um, and so, you know, we can fit 36 radishes in a square foot and um, about 1,300 radishes in one of our planting beds. And so um, otherwise, like we also include things like lettuces, uh, kales, broccoli, and kohlrabi. Um, uh, in the summer, it switches over to, you know, carrots and cucumbers and beans and basil. Um, we'll have cherry tomatoes typically, um, as well as beefsteak tomatoes. Um, the kids in the gardening program, uh, the six to 12 year olds, they, they, they work in pairs and they take care of a bed that's a, about 64 square feet. And so over the course of this, the, if you were enrolled in all, the spring, summer and fall season, you would plant about 30 different crops. Um, in, in even crops like in the fall program, the, the kids that are enrolled in the fall plant garlic. And so they don't necessarily see that they don't have, you know, get a chance to harvest that. And so the kids in the spring arrive and they inherit. Uh, the garlic that had been planted the previous fall, and they they are able to take care of it and um, harvest the scapes, and in you know early June, and then by July and August, uh, late July typically, uh, the kids that are enrolled in the summer are able to you know unearth the garlic bulb, and um, we typically send some home. We sometimes we cook with it during the program, and then we save some for planting in the fall. So, mm-hmm. so um, otherwise, outside of like. The, you know, the program areas, we, we grow, um, you know, lots of plants, too, that we, we don't necessarily harvest that is usable. Like, for example, like the gra- some of the grains. So we'll grow, you know, oats and wheat and rye um, and corn, amaranths, uh, sorghums, things like that. And, you know, we'll, we'll get some, you know, we'll be able to save some seeds. Uh, so there's, like, opportunities to learn about life cycles and, and seed saving. Um, but we don't, we're not necessarily generating enough to, you know, make enough flour to make a loaf of bread or anything. But what's important is that our visitors, young and old, you know, young and more experienced, um, are able to see those plants and where those things come from and make those connections. You know, if you're in New York City, you know, you, you don't see a you know a farm every day. Um, it's sure. probably like you said earlier, resembles more of a community garden in its layout. Um, less like a farm with like rows of crops, but, um, but we get a lot of visitors. And so you're, you're able to make those connections um, without having to, to go out to, you know, the, the country and 
you know, those bigger open spaces. So. Uh-huh. And what about fruit? Um, do you do any fruit, um, fruit trees or berries, bushes? Yeah, we have, um, we have uh, some patches of straw, uh, uh, raspberries. We also have uh, black raspberries, blueberries, uh, elderberries. Um, we have uh, even chokeberries, um, which is a great name for, uh, not a great name for in the, you know, in the edible academy. We also have apples. We have um, a few different apple trees. Uh, we also have, uh, we have apples that we've um, trained. Uh, you know, Espelier. So we have step over apples. They um, eventually, you know, they're still young. They're about, you know, five years old now. Um, they're trained at, at a, about a height of about 18 inches. So they'll become like a fence post. Um, you know, once the, you know, you, you continue to prune them back and they, they'll get kind of, you know, gnarlier and gnarlier of like a, a stem. Um, and then we also have pole apples. Uh, I think we have a, I think we have a persimmon tree as well. Um, and we have a hardy kiwi vine. Mm. Awesome. Um, so I know that the garden is committed to sustainability um, and you don't use any pesticides or herbicides. So can you share with uh, my listeners what practices you use to um, replenish the soil and to, you know, composting and <clears throat> and what you use to as a natural pest control? Uh, sure, of course. There's uh, there's lots of different things you can do to promote a healthy uh, vegetable garden and and you know promote sustainability. So you know, we try to employ as many as we can, and you know particularly with the audience that we work with, they're you know very impressionable. They're also going to be inheriting uh, stewardship of you know earth, and and so we'd like to inspire them as much as possible. And so in terms of our gardening practices. Um, it, it, it even begins with like our seed selection and our planting plans and, and, um, you know, creating a diverse planting plan. Um, you know, sometimes we'll group a, a crop in one place. Other times we have a polyculture. And so, um, that helps to avoid, uh, some of the, the insect pressures, pest pressures. We employ uh, crop rotation techniques. And so some of the diseases that affect particular groups of plants, uh, persist in the soil, even through our winters. And so we, by rotating your crops, like those groups of plants into new locations, um, the pests aren't able to fo- follow, follow them as well. Um, we, uh, you know, our watering, you know, just being mindful of not overwatering um, and, or, and or underwatering. So we're, you know, we're paying very particular attention to the, the weather and, and thinking about ways to um, not stress out the plants that we do plant. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, um, it, it companion planting techniques. And so there's, there's also trap cropping. So you might plant a crop that you're not intending to harvest and it, it attracts the pest more and draws them away from the, the plants that you are interested in harvesting. Um, the companion planting, there's a variety of ways, uh, reasons for that, um, or a variety of like strategies for that. And so some attract beneficial insects that, um, our predators of our pest insects. And so you might see um, lots of sweet alyssum in our garden. And um, it, it actually is edible as well, but it attracts uh, lace wings and they lay their eggs there and their larvae, um, you know, consume aphids. So, and, and other pest insects. So, so you'll see like, um, you know, flowers kind of built in, um, in, into our, our planting plants. Um, we also employ things like mulch, um, and that helps to reduce like the weed pressure. And again, like 
things that might stress the crops that we're growing. Um, and then, you know, with uh, we do scouting, so we'll scout for um, possible in, in infestations. Um, and then um, <clears throat> when that when we notice that there's you know a critical mass, we you know we'll, we'll act. And and there's different you know organic you know, treatments that you can do, including just using your hands like to pull off caterpillars and things like that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So in addition to teaching kids, I know you also have a whole program that teaches educators. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, many years ago, I uh, helped create a, a program for uh, teachers that um, were looking for support or ideas or kind of advice um, in creating gardens at their schools. Um, so, you know, some of the teachers had gardens, um, others wanted to start them. And so, uh, and we just heard, you know, we, we'd often have, you know, teachers either visiting for our school program or visiting with their families, you know, kind of asking us lots of questions. So our, our department, you know, we're part of our children's education department. We have a, a, a professional learning office. And so we have several staff, um, who, uh, work with teachers, um, promoting their, their outdoor education skills, their confidence with science education or plant science. And so uh, we collaborated and created a, a new institute. So it's a 35-hour course um, called School Gardening 101. And it was really uh, quite popular um, as soon as we uh, offered it. I think it was probably 10 or 12 years ago. And then um, we, we also recognized that there was a lot to cover. And it's really not possible 35 hours. So we actually diversified it um, into three courses. So uh and school garden 101 is now basically initiating a school garden. Um, so learning all the different uh, best practices for, you know, uh, you know, creating a, a garden, uh, thinking about goals, creating, a, you know, a committee of stakeholders, uh, thinking about materials, uh, thinking about the, the campus that you have and what your opportunities are and or challenges. And then, you know, um, talking really you know about the basics of taking care of a garden and, and some of the plants that you might include it and 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 school gardening is tricky in particular because the um gardening season the outdoor gardening season here in new york is is really like march to november uh or you know some people wait till may and really just do the warm season crops um the school year starts in september at the end of the you know towards the end of the growing season and then you know wraps up in in june right is like the peak season hits. And so really just kind of strategizing on how you can um, uh, still include gardening as a part of your campus's, you know, culture and, and, and facilities and include it in your, your teaching and your learning. And so 201 uh, we created was about maintaining a garden and connecting to curriculum. You know, you can have a garden, but having a garden at a school, it, it ought to be used to benefit the, the, the instruction and the teaching and the learning that's happening there. So you know, thinking about how not to create like a, a new, you know, just like another thing that teachers have to do, but teach, you know, creating something that supports what they are are already doing. And so thinking about all the different disciplines, you know, English language, arts, maths, social studies, and science um, uh, primarily, but also some of the other um, benefits, health and wellness, uh, social, emotional, um, learning, you know, responsibility, learning to share, things like that. Um and and uh, and so 201 became is, is now focused on 
on that. And then 301 we introduced was sustaining a school garden. So, um, you know, many gardens, um, people are excited about it. It might be started by a parent, it might be started by a teacher, but it really requires like several, um, you know, a support network. And so, you know, we, in during that, that 35 hour course, we, we work on, um, strategies for, for, you know, sustaining a garden in the, in the, in a long-term capacity, looking into, you know, funding opportunities, um, and different ways to fundraise, or, um, we also include, um, sustainable gardening practices. So, you know, you can learn how to grow a garden one year, but, you know, as I mentioned before, like those crop rotation schemes and, and, uh, you know, taking care of your soils over a long time, you know, teaching those skills. So once the teachers are, you know, had done it a season or two, they start to learn a little bit more about, you know, what we think about here. So Mm -hmm. that's great. Um, and then you, in addition to the drop-in, do you, you actually have school groups that come in like, um, a whole busload at, at a time? Yeah, bus loads. Um, so, uh, you know, I was just talking to one of our colleagues, you know, is interrupted that New York City's um, Department of Education typically provides bus school buses uh, to uh, teachers. So they can, you know, there's like a portal and that they can register for a bus and it's free. Uh, and so they're able to visit cultural organizations, go on field trips. And so this past, uh, well, the past two years um, have been um, challenging for that. Uh, the buses have not been available during this this current school year cycle. So prior to that, um, we would have a couple hundred school groups in our just in our spring season. And so each day um, at the Edible Academy, we have capacity for eight school groups. And so there's a couple of different program options that teachers can choose. Um, and then the past six years with the New York City Council of Funding, we've been able to offer um, a series of four workshops during the entire school year to 50 classrooms. And so um, for free. And so um, we, we work with 10 schools. Each school selects five classrooms and each classroom comes to the Botanical Garden five times. And four, four of those visits are garden workshops here at the Edible Academy. And they get to choose any other um, program option that we have. We have two other children's gardens here. Uh, we have our children's adventure garden and we have our green school. And so, um, you know, the Edible Academy focuses on garden-based education, uh, hands-on gardening. Um, and then our Everett Children's Adventure Garden has more of a, a science and nature observation-based programming. And then our green school has, uh, is located in our conservatory where we have tropical rainforests and desert collections. And so um, the workshops there uh, focus on, you know, adaptation and, you know, exploring different habitats. And so, so yeah, we have, um, well, let's say we have hundreds of uh, school groups, uh, thousands of school kids, um, preschool through um, middle school um, that visit. Some come several times and uh, each grade level has a lens of study, like a theme that is complementary and supportive of, of um, some of the different uh, learning standards that are um, are established. So whether it's next generation science standards, some of the New York state standards, um, common core, um, even some of the social emotional standards um, we've been, uh, as we create our curriculum, we attend to those, uh, those different um, standards. And then, you know, we also have a facility that's very different than most classrooms and schools, uh, particularly um, here in the Bronx. And so, uh, we want to make sure to take advantage of that. You know, our, when our, our programs are on campus, 
uh, they're, they're hands-on gardening and they're cooking um, and learning about, you know, this, this, you know, life cycles or communities or um, sustainability. Um, when, uh, you know, the past few years, we've had to move um, our programs like completely virtual. Um, and so we had to rewrite our curriculum and, um, and now we're kind of in a hybrid mode. Some of our groups are able to walk over, um, you know, without, you know, without the buses available. Um, and then some others uh, are virtual still. And so we've got, we've had to make, you know, some adjustments. So our, our education team has been, um, you know, very, very flexible and very creative. And then we've had to train ourselves on uh, all the different learning platforms and all the tools. So, you know, you know, things like um, iPads outside, you know, uh, in the cold weather, when we recently learned the batteries um, don't last very long. And so we had to like, you know, adapt to that quickly. And so uh, very long extension cords, <laughs> things like that. Um, but we also have like digital microscopes. We, uh, we even created um, uh, collateral. So we, we have a, a couple of uh, vehicles since we are able to um, package up materials and bring, deliver them to the school so that the kids could, um, we can still grow plants or still have things to manipulate and to engage as, as part of the programming. So yeah. Yeah. COVID has really um, presented so many challenges for so many people. I know you said it also created opportunities for you. Um, you want to share some of the opportunities that COVID created for you? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you know, one of the most popular questions pre-COVID, um, you know, I had visitors that were dropping in or would always ask, like, what do you do with all this produce? And, and so for many years, the produce uh, was harvested by the the participants. So even in our drop-in program, we would invite kids to, you know, harvest a carrot or the radish, like I mentioned earlier, the kids enroll in the gardening program, cook with the produce that they grow or take it home and share with their families. And, um, and then our school groups, uh, all the students would, um, you know, harvest and taste things during our one visit program or our multi-visit program, as I mentioned, would cook together during their workshop. And so um, when COVID started, started, you know, about two years ago, um, the botanical garden was completely closed until I believe um, August or late July of 2020. And so um, at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, myself and one of my other colleagues, you know, most of us were you know, sent home, but we were listed as essential. We had 20,000 seedlings in our greenhouse. And, you know, if you want to have a tomato fruit in July, you have to plant a tomato seedling in May and you have to start the tomato seed in a greenhouse in April or, or March. So, you know, we weren't sure if it was the pandemic, the, the closure would extend for two weeks or two months, or we just didn't really know much like everyone else. And so we continued to grow everything that we were planning to, you know, incorporate into programming. And then um, when it became, you know, time to harvest those things and we were still closed, we, we, we reached out to some organizations that um, provide food uh, and to people in need. And so one of the organizations is a couple blocks away from us, uh, part of the solution uh, or POTS. And so they typically have uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner or um, a, a pantry for families in the area. And so that all became like to-go meals or a to-go pantry, like a sidewalk pantry. And so so we started donating our produce um, to POTS and then we added a few other organizations in the area. And so ended up donating about 7,000 pounds in 2020. And then um, in 2021, we reintroduced our programs, um, but introduced, um, and so some of the participants were taking harvest home, but we, we continued to donate. So we were able to 
kind of do both and uh, donated another 7,000 pounds this past year. And so, so yeah, as far as like challenges, all sorts of challenges with, um, you know, trying to promote the, you know, safety and, you know, everyone's health. And so, um, but also opportunities in, in that we were able to um, connect, you know, more closely with our community and, you know, donate food. And so we also started an initiative called the Bronx Farm Hubs. And so my colleagues in our horticulture division, there's a department of Bronx Greenup, and they support uh, community gardens throughout the borough and have been doing so for you know many, many decades, like I think about 30, 30 plus years now. And so we had some meetings with all the, the community gardeners and, and they were all keen on growing more food and sharing it with their neighbors. And so we, we created a, um, this farm hub is really sharing best practices and thinking about different ways to grow more food. And and then, you know, here at the Edible Academy, we have our greenhouse. And so we, um, we, we donated seedlings. So we, 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 you know, propagated um, seedlings at the, you know, late spring for summer planting and then another round of cool weather crops for the fall at the end of the summer and donated about 10,000 seedlings um, that were distributed to all the community gardens. Mm, this past year, 2021, we did that again um, and had an early spring, a late spring, and then a, a, a fall planting. So we were able to do 15,000 seedlings. And this year we're, we're going to donate 20,000 seedlings is, is what our plan is. So, so yeah, so ways to support our community gardening friends um, and, uh, and for them to support their neighbors and, and share food. So, and they do that in lots of different ways. That's wonderful. And where does all the funding come from? Because we know, uh, you know, seeds and and all the equipment is, you know, is not free. Um, although maybe you get it all donated. But how do you fund these wonderful programs? Yeah, the uh, Botanic Garden has you know lots of different initiatives. There's you know you know we're in the education division. There's also um, our science and our horticulture divisions, and so uh, the funding of, you know, is very complex. Um, and so we have actually a whole fundraising team and, you know, whether you're visiting the garden and buying a ticket, um, or, um, you know, uh, purchasing a membership that you know, different or, or enrolling in our programs. And, and, you know, that that's all, um, awesome in terms of, you know, supporting what we do, um, and helping to pay all the bills. And then there's, there's also a lot of uh, generous people out there, and um, that donate in other ways. And so whether it's um, private donations from individuals or families uh, or foundations. So, you know, we, we look to align ourselves with foundations that, you know, um, kind of think what we're doing is a good thing. And so um, we, we collaborate with them and there's also corporations um, and, and then there's grants. And so, um, you know, some of the grants are issued by foundations and, and others are issued by federal and state and city um, agencies like our gifts from the New York city council. Um, but, uh, you know, just the, the edible Academy project alone was, was there was a, you know, an equally kind of diversified stream of funding that included municipal, um, you know, grants like from New York state, New York city, the mayor's office, the city council, but um, also, you know, different board members, uh, other private um, and foundation donations and, 
and corporate. So the edible, but you don't have to you don't have to worry about that separate, right? The the Brooklyn Botanical Garden. I mean, sorry, the New York Botanical Gardens funds your programs, right? Or do you have to actually yeah. have for grants yourself? Um, well, we we have like we have a team of fundraisers that um, kind of specialize in all those different areas, and then you know my responsibility is a. a program supervisor and, and this new campus and is to, you know, collaborate with them. So, you know, we, a program I haven't mentioned yet. Um, we, we, you know, as I said in the beginning, like when we built the edible company, we were interested in reaching new audiences and, and we were kind of curious if there's a way that we could work with families um, of veterans. And, you know, at the outset, we were thinking like veterans might be returning from a, you know, their service and have not spent much time with their kids. And, and, and we thought like a garden would be a great setting for them to reconnect. And so we were thinking like, how can we do that? So we ended up creating a slightly different program. Um, and, and we, so we collaborated with the Bronx uh, veterans affairs medical center, um, which is only a couple miles from our, from the botanical garden. And they had started a wellness and resilience program. And so, so veterans receive, uh, a variety of different um, interventions. They spend a month, a, a group of 10 to 12 veterans uh, together and, um, uh, do creative writing and, and like meditation and dance and, and nutrition. So we added uh, horticulture therapy to that. Um, but we, we applied to funding through the Institute of Museum and Library Services. So that's a federal organization that supports museums and libraries across the country. And so um, they have different grant opportunities. And so, you know, we, we've, often apply for those grants. Um, the Botanic Garden has one of the largest libraries with materials about plants in the world. And so um, there's opportunities to support the library's endeavors. But um, one of our earlier IMLS grants um, was to pilot some of the ideas we had for the Edible Academy. So um, this, this more recent one is a three-year grant to support uh, our, the horticulture therapy um program for the for the veterans uh wellness and resilience program so yeah there's lots of different funding opportunities out there i mean there's free materials you know there's um there's corporations that will give in kind gifts like when we first opened the edible academy we realized we were going to have to budget to purchase all of our cooking equipment or we might reach out to a sponsor so uh, that first year KitchenAid. um agreed to be a sponsor and, and they asked us what we needed and we gave them a list and they sent it. And so awesome. in return for those, those in-kind donations, you know, we included, um, you know, their logo on some different, you know, collateral like signage and things like that. So, so that's just one example. There were several other corporations that were very generous and, and um, whole foods was, has been a partner, was a partner for, um, uh, and, and, uh, others. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Um, so do you have any other programs coming up that are, are new that you want to share? Um, some, some new, some are, are, you know, 65 years we've been doing them. So the learning program in, in registration is open. Um, one, one of, one of our programs is sold out, but there's some that have space available. So you can go to our website and sign up if you have, uh, kids or grandkids or neighbors that you think might want to get their hands dirty and, um, you know, take care of a garden and, and learn. Um, there's, uh, our school program registration is, is open. And so if you know teachers, um, or you think your child's, um, class might, might benefit from a field trip and are able to come here, um, 
whether it's the Edible Academy or our other venues, like, you know, you can visit the website as well and, and learn about all the different options. We're going to open for drop-in programming um, in April. And, you know, the, the garden's going to announce um, our, our summer long exhibition. It's, it's a, it's a food ways focused exhibition. So this will be all around the campus, not just here at the Edible Academy. So we'll, we'll factor into that program. Um, that should be formally announced uh, this upcoming week. And so um, you can learn more about that then. But um, if, you know, since you're listening now, definitely, you know, keep an eye out for that and then make plans to visit. We're going to reintroduce our cooking demonstrations. We'll have uh, several event weekends, um, you know, punctuating the, the growing season. Um, so we'll have events in June, in July, August, and October. So those are like, you know, we pull out all the stops. We'll have guest chefs do the demonstrations, um, cooking demonstrations. We'll have music and dance and uh, all sorts of gardening and craft activities. Um, so fun, garden-based learning opportunities for the whole family. And in the summer, some of those programs run like a camp. Like do they, do kids, can they sign up for a camp program? Yeah, thank you. I, I neglected to mention that we, with the Edible Academy, we were able to introduce a, a camp format. And so we have a spring break camp. In April, it's April 18th to 22nd, uh, April 22nd. And that's, uh, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to three. So if you are looking for something fun for your your five to 10 year old, you can sign them up for that. There's space available. And, and then we we have a, a camp, our summer break camp. And that's um, three weeks in July and or three weeks in August. So cooking, gardening, uh activities and sustainability little field trips around the botanical garden like through our forest into our conservatory um lots of fun um our camp team is terrific and uh it's a great place to spend your summer and what about um scholarships for those listeners that or people that are interested in that who um are financially challenged how does the garden deal with that yeah, so we have scholarships for our children's gardening program. We've been offering um, discounted uh, fees fees for for decades through the uh, foundation gift, the Rebecca Mallory Foundation. So, thanks to them, um, we were able to um, reduce the the cost um, for any families that are interested. So, there's an application on the registration page, um, and just need to basically state that you'd like your you know the program at a reduced fee, and then. If we're able to make a gift, we are, we do. And um, uh, otherwise, um, the garden's, you know, free on Wednesdays and you can drop into the Edible Academy any, any Wednesday and, and for at no cost and, and learn with us. And, and again, there's take-home activities. You can, it oftentimes includes a plant to, to care for and add to your garden back at home. So. And you said Saturday morning too is free, right? And Saturday mornings, yep. Right. That's awesome. Okay, so we are almost out of time. Can... Um, how can listeners get involved if they uh, is there space for people to volunteer if they want to help in the garden? Yeah. If you uh, are interested in donating your time and you want to um, help, help, help us, you know, and contribute in that fashion. Yeah. We have a volunteer office and there's a, an application. It's also available on our website. Um, and you would specify you wanted to get involved in the Edible Academy. We um, have volunteers that have zero, like no experience. Um, been, and want to learn. We have other volunteers that um, are very experienced, um, but maybe don't have a garden at this at this time. Um, others that have a garden and, and just want to help out. And so, some 
some volunteers help uh, help with the kind of the behind the scenes gardening. Um, others help with the teaching. Um, we have dirty dishes we clean. Uh, you know, there's just little, lots of different ways to get involved. So if you, you know, you want to learn a little bit more about how a garden grows over the course of the season, you know, you come here once every other week or once a week, you, you definitely have, you get a, a crash course in that. Um, so yeah, there's volunteering. We also have some jobs posted uh, right now. So part-time jobs. And so if you have some experience in teaching, um, and some gardening experience, you likely make a good candidate. And, you know, we um, are making job offers now, putting our, our part-time team back together before the uh, the spring season arrives. Awesome. Awesome. And so I just want to share with my listeners, if you go to the Brooklyn, I'm sorry, I keep saying it, the New York Botanical Gardens website um, to find out about the Edible Academy, you go on to learn. It took me, you know, you have to kind of look for it a little bit. It's not that obvious. You have to go on to learn, and then you can f- scroll down to find the Edible Academy. But, um, Toby, I want to thank you so much for the work you're doing. Uh, the information you share with your young learners is amazing, and also for all the teachers that are benefiting from the information that you share. Um, it's just awesome. You know, we all have seen the studies that kids do so much better if they know where their food's coming from. Um, They're much more likely to eat it and to try it and to expand. And so um, I just can't stress how important the work that you're doing is. And so thank you. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. So much. Um, Everyone who's been listening, thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Bhavani at IE Green on the Progressive Radio Network. And Toby Adams has been my guest from the New York Botanical Gardens. See you all again next week. Have a great rest of the week and bye for now.